Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome. If you're joining us for your first time uh, or if you're watching with us online, we want to thank you for being here with us today. Uh, my name is Taylor, and uh, this week we're going to wrap up our little mini-series on making waves here. Uh, we decided to talk about uh, family discipleship or discipleship, which would go hand-in-hand hand with our VBS this week, as you saw uh, it was awesome. I was a part of the games team, so we were outside from 9 to noon uh, every morning, Monday through Friday. Uh, and it's really cool if you think about this model for VBS of, of a generation pouring into another generation. And uh, you saw only a glimpse, honestly, of the kids that were actually a part of that. There was, I, I believe the numbers were anywhere from 60 to 80 kids, depending on kids inviting and kids getting sick. And um, so we had a good chunk of kids here in our church this week. Uh, and when I started Monday, I probably knew, I don't know, probably 20, maybe 10, 20 of the kids, especially ones that I helped teach in the four and five-year-old room. But now I could probably name every single kid that was up here. And what's cool is it only took five hours of my time to get to know those individual groups. Um, so it was really cool just to see how a small investment or a simple investment, I could get to learn about other kids and hear their stories. And there were some amazing stories at VBS especially in the fourth and fifth grade area where some kids were, you know, questioning God and kind of came to the realization that, you know, there has to be something bigger than what I've been through in my life. And so we're talking about salvation for young children and a generation pouring into another generation. And so we talked uh, last week about discipleship and how it should take place uh, in the home. And we spent a lot of time talking about the role of a disciple and what that means for us. And we said there's kind of two barriers to, to being a disciple. One is the role of the disciple, and two is like the time that it would take to be a disciple or to just be present in the life of someone else for Jesus. And so this week, that's what we're gonna talk about is time. And so when we talk about the idea of time, I think we could all agree, like, time is short. We don't have a lot of time or it goes fast. If you've raised kids or are raising kids or, or maybe you just understand through your, your normal day-to-day -day routine, like things are fast-paced and sometimes we would like to go back into life and be like, yeah, I wish I could redo this part or, you know, I wish I could have this time back. But that's kind of the reality is that we don't have that time back. We all have the same amount of time, actually. So 168 hours in our week, we all share that same time. But what's interesting, and I'll give you a little fact here, is that on average, the average attender within church or even a kid who would regularly attend church on average, they're only in church 40 hours throughout the year, right? So if you're, if you're coming to church somewhat regularly, that's how much time you're spending here uh, in the discipleship model. But if you look at the facet of, or, the, or the lens of the home, it's significantly more. Uh, so if you sleep for eight hours or work for eight hours, we'll throw those hours out the window. Uh, but in your home, typically outside of that, whether you're you know, getting out the door or coming home or spending time with family, you've got roughly 3,000 hours a year outside of here that you're spending with your family or those that you love or the people that are closest to you and with you. So 40 hours or 3,000 hours, where do you think discipleship can really make a difference, All right? Right? So it's not in the 40 hours so much. Like we use it and we're intentional about it and we'll always give it and we'll always train and we'll always equip. But think about the time that we have as disciples outside of this 40 hour a year gathering that we have. 3,000 hours within your home. 
And I think if we're not intentional about that time, this is what we're gonna find. It's gonna be very hard to figure out how to disciple if we're not using those 3,000 hours. You know, we said this last week that the best ministry really should happen in your home. And part of that is because of the time that we have with those around us. And so this week, as we talk about time, I'm actually gonna go back into some of the scriptures that we've already talked about uh, last week and when we talked about the role and we're gonna analyze it from the perspective of, okay, I understand I have to do this, but now this is what it's gonna require of me. And so we're gonna go back into a few of these texts. Uh, so first, if you would, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter six. We're gonna read verses four through nine again. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, that'll be on the screen for you to follow along. So Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four begins like this. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." So remember, a quick context again, we talked about this last week, but that first couple, the first couple verses in Deuteronomy 6 are known as the Shema, which means to listen, to hear, or obey. And it was, uh, and it is, a regular prayer that the Jewish culture, they recite, you know, morning and evening. And they, they teach these things in their homes. Similar to the Lord's Prayer for us, if we say it daily, it's a similar type of, of muscle memory, if you will. And so this was given to the Israelites to teach their children every day. They said this regularly. And if we think about the context, again, of, of Deuteronomy specifically, Moses was charged with going to Pharaoh and bringing the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt and then into the promised land. Well, the events that unfolded essentially got rid of that promise. So now Moses, nor the Israelites, the age of 20 and up at the time, were able to enter into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And so Moses, here he is, he's, he's investing in people. He's training up not only Joshua, because Moses can't go there. So who's going to take Israel over there? It's Joshua now. So Moses is spending time investing in Joshua to say, you're going to lead this group of God's chosen people. Well, he's not only doing that, he's training up the generations that are gonna go into the promised land. And he's teaching them how important it is, like parents that were in Egypt, you need to teach your kids this. You know, family members, friends, you need to teach these people what they need to know about God. And if you look at what Moses is doing, he's investing time. It doesn't say in scripture, Moses, you know, took a vacation. It doesn't say he, he took a little time off because he needed some time, you know, because it was towards the end of his life here, right? He's, I think later in Deuteronomy, it will mention he's almost 120 years old at this point. You know, when you get towards the end of a life cycle or someone who knows they're, ending the, the, they're nearing the end of their days, time becomes more precious. It becomes more intentional. It becomes more valuable. And so here's Moses. He's not doing anything abnormal. He's not taking time for himself. He's giving that time sacrificially to teach other people about God because we've said this, it's important. If you wanna teach a generation how to love God and to obey God, they first have to know God. And the only way they can know God is to teach regularly. And that's what Moses is doing here. It's consistent teachings. He's pouring into people. And this is where I think, in my opinion, we lose track in discipleship. 
Like what Moses was doing was what he did every day when he's teaching. It wasn't like he had to carve time out of his schedule and say, okay, I need to eat, but now it's time to head over here and I've got to teach this group and then I've got a meeting over here. It was throughout the events of his day. He said, this is how we can teach and train and equip people. And Moses is taking this time now and he's teaching the Israelites about how to love God. And this is the gap I was talking about or the thing I think we miss in discipleship. It's pretty convenient if you think about it. If you're intentional with your time, discipleship is convenient because it would match up with the things that you're already doing in your life and you'd be able to invite or engage in other people's lives as you go through your day. So it really doesn't even require more time. It requires more intentionality. So this is to set up the Shema. And as I was thinking about this, it says something right after the Shema that we read. It says you can teach it in your home. You can teach it as you walk. You can teach it as you lie down, as you wake up. It would be evident to people around you, like writing it on your doorposts or on your gates. There's ways in which we can spend time teaching those things. And I want to give you five practical ways, I would say, to help teach a generation or to help disciple someone else, especially someone that, you know, obviously you're, you're trying to reach people for Jesus here. And so I think it's really important that we can look back and say, well, what can I do with the time that I have? And so the first thing is this. I think you can be consistent. If you were consistent in the lives of people and the things that you teach, it would help them better understand something, right? Like Moses, if you go back into this context, he didn't just say the law one time. He rewrote this whole thing and he gives the entire law again. And he says, yeah, you need to take this and you need to go talk about the law. How many of you have ever tried to tell someone something once and it doesn't turn out the way you thought it would? There's a little finger up in the air, right? It's apparent. And so I'm gonna share a few stories as we go through these things today. And honestly, it's transparency with my life because I don't have this down perfectly. Uh, I'm challenged as I'm trying to think about how to be a disciple for my family and my friends. Uh, so it, it's working in me, but here's the reality. I wanna share stories throughout this because I wanna show you how practical and how simple it is to be a disciple in your own home, especially, or within the sphere of influence that you might have with other people. So for being consistent in the life of people, how many of you know, like when you tell the kid no, they don't listen the first time, right? Sidestep from this conversation real quick. God told the Israelites, he said, I want you to understand these are the things you're gonna have to do in order to have the promises that I'm going to give you. If you fail to do them, there's gonna be consequences. And then Deuteronomy goes on to talk about the curses, how God will hide his face from the people, right? They get the choice. But he said, this is what you need to do. As my chosen people, you're gonna do this, but actions have consequences. So uh, I believe it was you know, Saturday morning, so yesterday morning. Uh, I, current life situation, living in a basement right now um, with my in-laws. So this is ideal for anyone, right? And so we're working on a home that we've been working on for quite some time because, you know, took a bigger bite than I could ever chew. And so we're in the basement of my in-laws, and so my son is taking a nap downstairs. Uh, this is Saturday morning. And, and he's in this bedroom in the basement, and we live in a house with, I think it's 10 total people now. There's three, basically, families, uh, four young kids. It's, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, all, I'm all right. I'm all right. No, but here's the real deal, though. Crew is in the basement. My one-year-old's taking a nap, and that boy has to have a nap and here's my three-year-old and my five-year-old nephew. What do they decide to do? Well, let's run and jump off the bed. That's the best thing we can think of doing with our time. And not only just anywhere in this three-story house, the room right above where my son is, 
this big bed, and guess what my in-laws have on the floor? Like a little memory foam mattress topper, right? Because that's going to deaden the sound of them jumping off the floor. So I walk into the room, and I just hear thump, thump. I'm like, this is going to end poorly. They're fighting with pillows on the bed, and my sister-in-law and I, we tried to get them to pillow fight in the living room, just in a different room, like beat each other up somewhat safely. We're fine with that. Don't jump in this bedroom, though. So what do they do? I walk in. I say, you guys need to stop jumping. Crew is sleeping underneath you. Do not wake him up. So obviously, kids listened, right? They stopped. No, they did not. No. What happens right away is I, my daughter, she almost looks me in the eyes, and she jumps right off the bed, and I'm like, now, I'm not preaching on James today, but we can go back and talk about that. <laughs> the testing of your faith. So I'm like, all right, what are we going to do here? I'm thinking, like, I, got a, I got a parent here. All right, hey, I'm telling you one more time right now, just do not jump. You're going to wake crew up. So they jump again. And I have my nephew, and I'm not going to spank him. He's not my kid, but I'm going to try to help instruct. So I, they're both standing side by side, and I, I look at my daughter, and I say, Ren, I'm going to let you choose right now. We can stop jumping, or you can keep jumping, but if you jump off onto the floor one more time, I'm going to spank you. And I'm like, I'm gonna let you choose. You know, turn me into whatever DCS for spanking my own kid. <laughs> I'm saying it out loud, but really, like, I'm gonna discipline my child because I want her to know, you know, there's consequences for your actions. So my daughter, if you know her, she looks me right in the eyes. My nephew jumps, but he hits his butt on the edge of the bed and he slides off. He's like, I didn't jump. I was like, <laughs> okay, no, you didn't. You didn't, good job. And then my daughter just, boom, right onto the ground. And I'm like, bang, there you go. And it wasn't hard and it wasn't out of anger, but it was like, I told you this was gonna happen when you chose to do it. But I have to consistently teach my kid those things if she's gonna know the boundaries that I have for my home. And if I'm gonna teach her anything or tell her to pick something up, I have to do it consistently. And that's kind of the idea, not to spank or discipline, but to show discipline and reverence for God, to obey what's God commanded, what God has commanded. And this is through the idea of consistency. And the second thing is this, I think you gotta be creative. Creativity is really important, especially like we've talked about last week, you know, when we talk about, oh, I don't know a lot about the Bible, or I don't know where to start in scripture. And it's like, well, first of all, you have to read it, number one. And number two, be simple with it. It's very simple to get kids excited about Jesus. It's very simple to be in a relationship with someone and talk about Jesus if you're intentional with how you're gonna do it. So I say be creative because as I think about it, uh, again, another story is, so I wanted to spend time with my daughter. It's, you know, we're busy, we're always busy. We can all attest to busyness. So I said, I'm gonna spend time with Ren right now. And so what we decided to do was my wife had bought her a Barbie and this Barbie had a keyboard. And so I said, well, what do you want to do right now? She said, I want to play Barbies. I'm like, all right, dad mode. I'm going into Barbies. We're playing Barbies. And every dad can attest you've done some things more than play Barbies. You've been, you know, fingernails painted, makeup on your eyes. No man can ever really deny that he said no and didn't let it happen. Point is, I said, all right, let's play. Let's play with Barbies. And in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm going to be really, like, specific with this time. Like, I love when I can just, re like, retreat in, my, in the craziness of a home and just be intentional with my daughter. And so I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to worship. We're going to church. And so, I mean, call it cheesy if you want, but I took my Barbie and she took purple as the Barbie's name and she had a keyboard and she was singing. And if you know my daughter, when she gets into her singing mode, my mom can attest, she's got this beautiful little like wiggly voice. 
And so she's like, Jesus loves me this I. And then like we had a full worship set. Like we were, we were singing. And I'm, I put the Barbie's hands up, you know, and it's like praising. I was serious. Like I was like, we're doing this now. It was simple. And then what's, again, sidestep from that story, again, cheesy story, but a real story, a simple story. When we're doing things as believers or as Christians and other people see it and they're like, why are they enjoying doing this? Or why are they living that way? There's like that question in the back of their mind. They're like, I want to know more about that. Well, here comes five-year-old Rhett. I said, grab a horse, buddy. And he, he grabs one of these little, I don't know, there's a dozen horses. He grabs this big horse who got stuck on the way over there. And we invited him into the cafe for some donuts and some fellowship. We did. And we had fun. And then I gave him the horse. I said, this one rides the horse away. And I kind of let him go. But I didn't neglect him, that community. And you know what else that didn't require me in that moment? It didn't require more time. I could spend time directly with my daughter, investing in her and having fun with her and making memories with her, being intentional with her, showing her I'm your father and I'm gonna spend time with you and give you some time. But my, my nephew didn't take any more time out of me. I was actually thankful he came up at, towards the end because I was like, okay, there you go. Like, that's my exit out. <laughs> But I mean, think about it. If you're investing in the life of someone else, if it doesn't take anything to add another person there, why wouldn't you do it? I would do that five, six, seven, eight days a week. I know we only have seven days in a week, but I would spend time doing something that doesn't really require more time. He's not my kid, but he's still someone I want to know. I want him to know Jesus. I want to spend time teaching him about Jesus. And you notice I didn't have to go and be like, well, don't forget what Psalm 18 says. Like, those are great tools and great resources, but I just said, this is what church is like. And I want you to enjoy it. Play, have fun with it. I would, instead of going and playing house and getting the 10 bags of food that we have, of plastic food, like go play church or something. Like I wanna instill in them how that can be fun at a young age. But the other thing is this, and this is what I think we're lacking on in society today. The time that we're spending with our own families or with the people we're saying we're trying to reach is the third thing is to be engaged with them, is to really just spend time with them. You know how many people are absent in their own homes today? The grandparents have to raise their own kids. You know how many grandparents are raising, you know, their grandchildren right now? Or how many moms are raising kids because dads aren't there? This is, it's a pandemic. It's an epidemic, whatever you want to call it in our society. It, there's people, there's leadership, there's figures, representatives of the church missing from culture. And you know what's important is that from the age of birth all the way up to 18, 24, whatever, when they become an adult, they're searching for an identity. They're searching to be known. And what we know is that we are known by God. The problem is how do we make them feel known? How, how are we investing in them and saying, I see you right here? Because this is the problem right here. If we're not gonna do it as a church, you know who's going to? The world. And then we wonder why our kids are so far off track. You've gotta be consistent. You've gotta be engaged. You see how some of these will play into one another? But if you wanna be engaged and be present, then be present. You, that's the fix to the whole solution with people searching for this identity. The people that surround them and show them love and show them compassion and show them you care and you invest in them, that's the people they wanna be like. So we should want to be that example and that's gonna take time. The other thing is this, the fourth thing is that you should do it as you walk, as you wake up, as you lie down or through your daily routine. So what is your daily routine? A couple questions to to pose here, I guess, would be this. When you wake up, what do you do first thing? When you go to bed, what do you do right before you go to bed? What does it look like throughout the day? And what is the time spent devoted as a disciple? What does that really look like? 
You know, like, are you actually, are you reading scripture in the morning or the evenings? Are you reading scripture at all? Like, are you praying? Are you praying with your family? Are you praying with your kids? Are you praying for them even? That's an active way to be engaged. And I was watching the roundtable this week. If you haven't listened to that, the podcast, um, the most recent one for the roundtable was Mitch Gerber and Ashley Dorsett. They're a young couple and they're engaged. And they said something that really stuck with me as I watched that episode this week. And they were talking about being young adults in this culture, about how it's kind of hard. Like, you know, there are mentors missing, but there also is a generation of kids who just don't want to hear about how to be engaged. And so how can we be influences two generations if it's no reach here and no reach here? And it feels like I'm kind of operating from my own circle. And one thing they do is they don't live together, but they're engaged. And so they don't make the excuse of, well, we, we can't pray together. We can't do things together. Every night, they said they try to FaceTime and pray before they go to bed. They take what would be an excuse and they turn it into literal time with one another and they're intentional. They're spending time together. When I'm with my kids, I make it a point. Same thing. I like to pray before every meal. Like we stop what we're doing. We'll stop the house. Like, hey, let's pray really quick. I'll do it if I'm at a meeting with you. I'll say, hey, let's pray. I think it's important to instill prayer and thanksgiving to God, right? What I love about teaching my kids is it's simple. Like we sing a little song, you know, like, Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We, we sing it, and the faster we sing it, the funner it becomes. And because Rain at the end, go, like at the end, she'll go, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And she gets, like, she gets excited. She makes this little cute face. But she loves doing it. And what I think is even really cool about the reason we do that is because I grew up in a daycare where they sang that before every meal. And I didn't know what that would do for me. And here I am teaching my kids how to worship God together as a family and enjoy it and to be intentional about it. Because as we are trying to do things throughout our day and teach our kids, this is the last thing really, it's that you have to be evident to other people that you're a believer. How are you making that known to other people? Like think of those moments, if you can go back and think about like that time you were on your knees praying and you're, and you're on your bed before you're going to bed, if you know, like kind of a Hallmark movie, but if your kid looked through that little crack and was like, dad's praying right now. You know, that really sentimental video where it's like dad grows old and he dies and then now the kid's grown up and he prays down at his bed, but that's the impact that you're trying to make. You're trying to make the difference in the life of someone else and one way you can do it is by thinking about the intentionality of the time that you have and how the things that you do should translate to be evident to other people so that would become like habits or muscle memory for them too. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know what that looks like sometimes in my life. But if we were intentional about every moment, knowing that somebody is looking in, how can we be viewed as believers? Like similar to the Shema, it says you should write it on your doorpost, on your gates. It's like, boom, this is uh, the home of a believer. So how can someone else see that, especially as we're trying to disciple people? And so I think about the other part of this too. It's that we forget the things we're doing in our day-to-day life of like hobbies, let's say. How many of you have a hobby? Nobody, like three people have a hobby. Well, if you don't have a hobby, guess what? There's a lot of other people who don't have hobbies in here. So congratulations, you have something in common. (laughs) There's men in culture, like I would just, I'm gonna be cliche, I guess. I don't know, call it what you want. Men like guns, guns, God, and whatever the other G is, right? But men like, you know, sports. They like guns, they like hunting, they like cars. Like, if you're a man and you like to do those things, you know a really easy way to invest in the life of another man? Invite them over. Do it with them. You don't even have to talk, especially men. You can just say, yep. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like just a little, a little grunt. <laughs> You know, if you've got kids, you know what else you can say? Hey, bring your kids, man. Let them go out back. I don't care. Like, let your kids play together. Women, I was thinking about my wife because she does this too, but you go into the park, you know, you're going to cook or bake or have like a, a, you know, a day of baking or canning or whatever that is, or uh, maybe you're going to work out. Like, why don't you invite someone to do that with you and teach them and get them involved? And you know what? Take your kids and get them out of there so that way, like my one-year-old would be clinging to her leg going, uh, because he just, he won't let her go. But guess what? Now Crew's got somebody to take care of him. So now my wife can be more productive. It's the same time. Or maybe, you know, you're not, you don't have kids at home, but you can still take your friends out to dinner. You know, or maybe you don't have friends. Well, apparently we all need to get hobbies because if you have hobbies or things that you enjoy doing, topics you can gather around, you can be in community in different ways and it's not really inconvenient for you because it's something that you would already be doing. Like when you go to work, you're already working. People are working. That's not really inconvenient. Or maybe, you know, you're at home. You know, you share the the same roof. Why not talk within our homes? Or maybe it is around a meal. Everybody's gotta eat. These aren't inconvenient things and it shouldn't take more time. It just takes more intentionality. So I think if we could reframe our lens on, on what we're talking about here is that discipleship, It's simple. Don't oversimplify it. The world's chaotic. Life can get chaotic. It can get chaotic really fast, in fact, if we don't get get the reins and say it needs to slow down and we need to be intentional about our time. Because when you're tired of running back and forth from practices and getting kids from place to place and you're going from here to here, you're gonna look back in the rearview mirror one day and there's not gonna be scratch marks and tricks and cereal and yogurt bits and gummy bears and juices and whatever else kids, I'm dumbfounded by what kids can get in a car seat. It ain't gonna be there one day. And you're gonna be that lonely old man out there detailing his car every single day because you just miss cleaning it up. I mean, you're gonna miss that opportunity or you're gonna have that friend at work that you wanna reach. And what about when they transfer from that job or you transfer from that job? Are you still gonna be engaged with them? Because this is what matters most. It's not the job, it's not the... It's, it's the kingdom mentality of how am I gonna reach that person for Jesus? We don't know how much time we even have uh, as far as that, that goes. So this leads me into Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 through 16. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We're busier, always busier. We live in an age where busyness is normal, but if we really step back, How can we reframe that busy schedule into a a purposeful or an effective schedule? Like, think about it. This is the Christian grind Monday through Friday. This is, you know, kind of all-encompassing. It might not fit you, but it, you know, it can fit in some ways, I I think. Monday, you wake up. You got to go to work, right? So you're rushing out the door to work. You're speeding in traffic. You're trying to get there because you're running behind. You show up to work. You're working, working, working. Sometimes you're so busy working because I've never heard someone be like, yeah, work was really really boring today. So you're busy at work and then you might stop and eat lunch. Maybe if you, maybe you have to, you keep grinding out the rest of your day. You get home, you hurry home. You got to throw something together for dinner. And if you're a typical Midwesterner, you got to go mow the yard too, because it's got to look nice. You know, green grass is everything to people here. Or maybe you've got like an appointment to go to, a game to go to, a recital to go to, whatever those things are that you have to go to, a side job. You're going somewhere always. And then right when you get home, it's back to bed. The whole grind starts over. Monday through Friday, we're busy. Saturday, 
the beautiful day off. Like, you know, I don't have anything here Saturday. Well, guess what Saturday's full of? Saturday's full of the plans that you've been making with people for the past six months. Like, oh, I've got a little window now. Like, I know we talked about this in January, but hey, we're getting ready. Maybe after the 4th of July, we can get that going on because I got a busy schedule. I only have one day. I have one day for myself and we end up trying to do it with other people, which is not a bad thing. Or if you're like me, you live in the Brady Bunch or married into the Brady Bunch family and you just have birthday parties every single Saturday <laughs> throughout the year. And now they have to double up because my goodness, like well, there's Ship Shawana crew. They've got to have them together because that's, you know, it just doesn't work out. It's hard. It's busy. <laughs> but think about it. Sunday, you wake up, come to church, take a nap, getting ready for Monday morning. If you were to look back, not that this is, you know, what God said, but I would assume that if you were to step back and say, here, God, here's my time audit for the week. This is what I did. This is how I spent my time. These are the things and the people that I was with. He'd already know it all. But if, if he could give you a report back from reading the, the way in which you spent your time, what would it say? Like, what do you say? Well, listen, you see what you're doing here? You're spending your time way too much over here. What about this person that you ran into? You could have spent time with them. You don't know what that, could have, that appointment could have done for you. You know, if you were intentional about your time, you could think in, which, in ways in which we can build time in our schedule that already exists for relationships with other people. It's not hard. It's, it's right there. It's the same amount of time. You and I, we have the same amount of time. 168 hours. How are we being effective within our time? And we always say this. We say, if we could track your time and your money we could put a report together that says, this is what you value. And we say this over and over. This is the reality, though. If we were to put your time together and show you, like, who has an iPhone and gets the, the screen time that tells you, like, oh, you were on the Internet for this amount of hours and, and Facebook this amount of hours, right? If you could get that report, how much time would be in there for discipleship making or investing in the life of someone else? Like, we're missing that piece because what we do is not that we need more time. We don't need any more time. God gave us the number of hours in a day, the number of seconds in a minute for a reason. So it's not about getting more time. It's about how we can restructure and be more purposeful with our time. If we can do that, we can figure out how to be disciples uh, to those around us. But Jesus, if you were to look back in scripture, I, I challenge you to, because I haven't seen it. I haven't studied this anywhere. Tell me a time where Jesus rushed anywhere. Never. Never. Like you can find times where he leads people from place to place. He never ran. I said this first service is like, it's not like when he was doing his entry into Jerusalem, he kicked the donkey and said, let's go faster, come on. No, he rode a donkey and not even a horse. He rode a donkey. He was never in a rush, never in a hurry, but he always had purpose behind everything that he did. And it didn't require more time to be purposeful. It just required more intentionality. And so, as we continue to organize our time, I thought we could go back into Matthew chapter 14. We talked about this last week, the feeding of the 5,000. And we talked about there's a role that a disciple has to play and there's a role that the leader in the home has to play. But look, as I, as I read these first few verses, I want us to look at really what's happening with the time that the disciples think is right and then what Jesus says about that time. Matthew 14, verse 15, the feeding of the 5,000 reads like this. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, 
we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Real quick, before we go into this, where did Jesus meet his disciples? It wasn't like he said, hey guys, let's meet up on this day. I wanna have a, a meeting with you and talk about all these things. And I just wanna see where it lands. He went right where they were for all these disciples. He met them fishing and doing taxes. And then as he met the tax collector, he said, hey, bring your friends because I wanna show you something here. I wanna teach them something too. Where he's at in this story too is the disciples are with people and they're following Jesus. That's a good example. That's a good model. Nothing wrong with that. The problem the disciples had is that Jesus was right there in front of them. And the first thing they said is we can't provide for these people to the very person who could. We can't provide for them. We have to figure out how to send them out so they can take care of themselves. Right away, what the disciples did was they denied the ability for fellowship or community with people who needed to hear about Jesus. They said, no, that's their problems. Like I, we, we said the feeding of the 5,000, but if you look at, it says men besides women and children, we said it could be like 15, 20,000 people potentially. Many scholars believe this as well. Think about, from your perspective, you saw that many people, you'd be like, I don't know how to feed them. And Philip, if you read in the Gospel of John, says, well, this would cost us at least 200 denarii and it wouldn't even cover everything to pay for food for these people. And they didn't have Uber Eats. And so now we have to figure out, well, we can pay for it maybe, potentially. That's six months wages. It's still not gonna be enough. So the other thing that happened was the disciples automatically wanted to use more of these resources when they already had the source with them. They had Jesus with them. And so it's gonna take more time. Think about, you get kids out of the house in the morning or get kids to go somewhere. Part of the reason people don't get out is because when you have to tie the kid down in the car seat and the other one wants something else and I need my apple juice and you need to do this and then you got, you know what I mean? You gotta pack up the car and how are you gonna do that? Getting out of the house today is rough. You're telling families, thousands, why don't you guys just leave this single gathering place? Just go figure it out on your own. I mean, tie up your animals, untie them, get on them, pack up your stuff, walk however far away the village is that you're going to, and then purchase the meal, tie up your animals again. Then you have to prepare the meal. My goodness. The disciples' first reaction was, that's the best solution to the problem here. Rather than saying, hey, Jesus, what should we do here? I think that's important for us to remember. When we don't know what's the next step or how we can be a disciple, why don't we just spend time asking God what we need to be doing and spending time in prayer and meditating on his word, just saying like, God, I don't know where to start, but I know you know where you need me, so I need you to tell me what I have to do. Because in the feeding of the 5,000 disciples have this whole model upside down. That's the thing is that it didn't take the disciples more time. It actually was way, way, way more convenient and it displayed the power of God in a far more uh, impactful way than it ever could have. All because Jesus said, I need you to do this. As the disciples, he needs us to do something. He's equipped us, he's called us, he's commissioned us. So how are we using the tools and the resources that he's given us in order to be the hands and feet that he needs? So I wanna put this little example in your head real quick too. If it doesn't require more time, if it just requires more intentionality, how can we spend time being disciples? We said you get 40 hours in a week with the church, right? On average, again, plus or minus. If you took 167 hours of your time and gave one away, so give that 168th hour away to one other person you're trying to reach for Jesus, and you met with that person for one hour, one time a week, pretty simple. 
you can cut something out of your life in order to invest in the life of someone else. If you did that, and I'm not even saying make it a whole year commitment, do it three quarters of the year. If you could give someone one hour for roughly three quarters of the year so it didn't feel like this obligation and commitment and it was overwhelming because I don't have time, you just doubled the amount of time someone would be around the body of Christ. 40 hours would be doubled with 40 more hours. And now that person who, you know, maybe they don't even come to church. They just got, in theory, just as much church through the relationship that you're offering them as someone who attends church on Sunday and does nothing outside of the 40 hours. And now if they are in church and you're investing in them, you just doubled that amount of time. You're just giving that time to someone else. It's a very simple model. It's not hard to start. When Jesus met those disciples, he met them where they were, like I said, where they were. And you know what he did? He listened to them. When he taught, he understood their lifestyle. He got to know it well enough to where the parables that we read of are written to people like farmers, where he talks about sowing and seeds, and it's talking to fishermen about how to fish for people. He got to know their life story and spent time with them. He listened to them. He broke bread with them. He invested in them. And if we look at the model, that's something we all can do. He set the pace and said, this is what you can do to change lives of people. It's simple. And Jesus, mind you, changed the world in three years. Three years in his ministry with 12 people specifically is when he started it. It wasn't like day one, boom, I got 12 people, we're going. He had to start day one, work for the 12. The 12 grew into the 70 or the 72. The gospel starts spreading. Look, I mean, feeding 5,000 men besides women and children in one instance. It took action from Jesus, but he told us through scripture that we, through the Holy Spirit, would be able to do more than even he did. He was one person. Yeah, he's fully God, but he's fully man. He's still limited by the conditions of, of manhood. We are a church of believers. If we could do what he did in three years, imagine what the church could be today and what we could be doing for the kingdom of God. I'm gonna invite the worship team up as we finish up here. But I want us to consider this, and I have an illustration uh, through this that I want to share that I think uh, kind of puts things into perspective. So we have time. We've talked about time, and I hope that's ingrained in your brain this week that we only have so much time. And uh, if you've ever checked a, a child in here to the church at the ch uh, Life Kids check-in area, we have these beads in these boxes, right? I don't know if you can see. Yeah, 936 weeks, and it says newborn right? Yeah, newborn. This is the amount of weeks that you have from a newborn to the age of 18 when a child is no longer dependent upon you and your home where you don't have a direct sphere of influence over them. 936 weeks. We don't all have someone who's newborn today. So that means we've already lost a few weeks. We've already lost a little bit of time. We have this app. Uh, there's an app called Parent Q, C-U-E, Parent Q, um, that actually connects to our church uh, curriculum for our children. And I, I was building my children their little profiles and it creates a, a timer, a countdown for you. I have 760 weeks left with my little three-year-old girl. I've got 877 weeks left with my one-year-old boy and I'm sure that one's gonna go fast. Time is limited. That's the time that I have to invest in the lives of my own children. But what if your kid's 10? What if your kid's seven? What if your kid's 12? Or what if your kid like this is 17? Can you see the beads in the bottom of that? 
your kids got the last year in your home before they go off to college, before they go off to trade school. That's how much time you have with them. That's how many weeks you have. And mind you, you're not getting all of that time. That's their time too. Usually the last year is one of the busiest years that you'll have with those kids as you get ready to send them out. And sadly, this is where we try to disciple. This is where we try to get kids into church. This is where we try to teach them what's important. Because we don't want them to go in the world and get shocked and kicked on their butts and try to figure out life, you know? We're spending this when we have that. It's not even comparable. And not only that, but we have 3,000 hours every year. More than the church even. We are the church. But I understand you don't all have kids. You have people you're working with. You might have family members. You might have friends. You don't have 936 weeks. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know what life is gonna do with us when we leave here at church. The next second that passes, only God knows this is what's important. If you wait for that moment, if you, you know, people will say like, you know, I've got this guy at work. I've been, I really wanna invite him to church. Why wouldn't you just do it? What's the worst thing that's gonna happen? He's gonna tell you what he would have told you seven, eight months from now. If you miss the moment with your family member, how's that gonna feel? You know, you're limited on time. The people you work with might not work there tomorrow. You might not work there tomorrow. How are we being intentional about engaging with people and inviting them into community and fellowshipping with them to lead them to a place where, listen, if you live a life, if you live a life that's attractive to the world, they'll ask questions. We also are told we'll be hated by the world. So it's gonna be one or the other. But if you could live in such a way where people said, hey, I wanna know more about why you do the things you do. Why do you care about me? You just got the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. You got the opportunity to say, well, let me tell you what's happened in my life. You get the ability to share your testimony. And through that intentional time, you have the ability to bring someone potentially to their faith. This whole idea of discipleship isn't about, hey, just be better, do more work. It's about salvation. The greatest investment we can make with our time is the lives of people. It's an eternal concept. You could work a paid job that's hourly. The more you work, you get more money. It's not like the more you disciple, the better you are in heaven for Jesus and you get to sit higher than someone else. It's saying there's work to be done. The best investment is when you see someone enter into the presence of Jesus for all of eternity. So will you please stand so I can pray for you. God, remind us your commission. Lead us to what we need to do in the relationships and the lives of people, Lord. Let us be intentional with our time so that we can seek people. Let us set time aside even, God, to think about the people we need to reach and let us not wait upon it. Let us take action. Lord, as, as you continue to lead us and as we continue to love and surrender and obey the things you've commanded us, let us not forget that one of the greatest things we can do for you is to be used by you as disciples, to share the gospel that you sent your son to die for our sins, Lord, that we could have salvation eternally forever with you. Let us put that at the forefront of our minds that it's about the lives of people. The people that we say that we love, let us be intentional with our time as disciples. Help us to lead others to you. 
God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have one song for you guys this morning. Let's go out praising this morning. to the Lord.